Uh, we have ranking minority member Tracy McCreary from the House Utilities Committee on this week's Renew Guru. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live on tape from our palatial studios in North Columbia. Also joining me from our palatial studios, Philip Frasica, back from Kansas City after a three-year sojourn. Hi, Philip. Hey, happy to be back in mid-Missouri. Well, we're happy to have you. Uh, you are going to be now, I think your new position is Director of Programs for us. Yep, that's correct. And yeah, going to be having a very large focus on co-op issues, and we're going to have some exciting news to share very shortly. Yeah, well, don't let it get to your head. We got a big guest today. Um, <laughs> on our guest uh, from St. Louis, from the 88th uh, House District uh, in uh, St. Louis County, Representative Tracy McCreary. Representative Hello. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for thanks for joining us. I've, I've really very much wanted you on for a long time. Every time I've asked you has been during the legislative session, which I've now learned is a bad idea because you are extremely busy during session. <laughs> yes, very, very busy. So for your listeners that are not aware of the makeup of the Missouri House, there are 163 total members and only 49 of those 163 members are Democrats. I am a Democrat. And I be, uh, so since there are so few Democrats in the House, I serve as the ranking minority member on, I believe, four committees. So I'm very, very busy. I'm not I'm not just a committee member. I also have some extra responsibilities within my caucus. That's right. I mean, yeah, because I mean, it is it is a, a, a huge disadvantage, uh, you know, if you're a Democrat in the legislature, because I know we have so many members uh, as supporters of our group who are like, well, you know, there's all these really good ideas out there. Why don't you all just get these things passed? <laughs> Which then proceeds to uh, be kind of a primer on the challenges of the legislative process in Jefferson City, um, right. which, as you said, uh, you know, the uh, you are a Democrat. You are, I think, um, you know, historically or kind of there's a trend that Democrats you know, kind of focus more on clean energy issues. And so when you have so few, uh, there's just not a lot of opportunity to move legislation when you're in that uh, when you have those kind of numbers. Well, and, you know, that's that's a really good point. And I think one of the things that I've noticed in my time in Jefferson City is that renewable energy, clean energy, reducing our dependence on foreign oil has become more and more bipartisan. So mm -hmm. I feel very hopeful in the work that we're doing that we are starting to see both the, you know, the public being more supportive and also um, legislative colleagues. Yeah, and I, you know, and I, and I, and I think it's something we always try to emphasize on here. We've had uh, some of your Republican colleagues um, uh, from the House uh, on here to talk about this. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of Republicans who, I think, certainly see the economic uh, advantage of renewable energy, which is that's the thing I kind of like about the work we do. There is a, there's an environmental focus. There is a economic focus. And one of the things I like, you know, you and I have had a chance to kind of work together for almost six years, um, you and the legislative 
branch. And when I started as a, um, as public counsel a long time ago, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have always been really engaged and interested in utility lawmaking and legislating. What, you know, so it's not just clean energy, but you're also have been a really incredible consumer advocate, um, not just for your, uh, not just for your constituents, but I think also for everybody who, is an investor-owned um, utility customer, which is um, you know a lot of St. Louis, a lot of Kansas City, and a lot of other places around the state. What um, would you say sparked your interest in that type of uh, that type of legislation? Well, you know, I think originally what sparked my interest was I worked for State Senator Joan Bray, who um, was very much a consumer advocate and somebody very involved in utility issues in the Missouri legislature. She served for 10 years in the Missouri House and then eight years in the Missouri Senate and yeah. utilities and standing up for those on fixed incomes like seniors and low wage workers. That's just something that Senator Bray always did. So part of being on a team with a state Senator is you do the work that the team needs to have done. So I think, I think I came into it as an assignment, but then very um, grew to love the work and see the importance of me using my voice and my platform for speaking up for those um on utility issues. One of the things about utilities is like, if you look at the legislation that that comes through the utilities committee, it's extremely complex. It's certainly not written by any of my colleagues. It's written by, you know, it's written by insiders. It comes from the industry. It may be from the PSC, the Public Service Commission. So the bills are extremely complex. And rather than getting bogged down in the details, I think what's important for me and my team and and your listeners to realize is um, to not get lost in the details is to look at the outcome of, of the words, the words actually matter. So, um, you know, and so much of what we're doing in um, the legislature these days is we're making it easier and giving a green light to these investor owned utilities to raise rates much more easily to figure out ways to to make more money off the backs of ratepayers, which are my constituents. Right. Yeah, it, it is it is complicated. And I, I think it's it's sometimes done deliberately so so people feel like they just they look at it and they say, well I can't get involved with this. I got too much else to worry about. This is just too much. Um, but it is. I mean, when you look at it, yeah, there are like, you know, when you look at like what it's supposed to be doing, it is, it, it does. I mean, that helps clarify things. And I guess, you know, just always as a reminder to our audience, the reason why investor owned utilities are so much more uh, watched after with the legislature is because the Public Service Commission only regulates uh, investor owned utilities that are shareholder driven. Um, their, their goal is to kind of serve as, you know, kind of a, um, I always say they're trying to just be like kind of a mock competitive force to keep, you know, them in check. Uh, and that is, and the PSC is a creature of the legislature. So the PSC has to do what the legislature tells them to do, or in some cases not to do, <laughs> uh, which seems to be sometimes, which I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember in, when I was public counsel and still there are a lot of efforts to try to take, um, authority from the public service commission to say you have to do things like this you have to have these things outside of right cases i mean you know you've been in the legislature i mean i I know you worked for senator bray you've you've yourself been in the legislature since 2011 um has has it what i mean have you seen 
what's the trend you've seen on how the legislature looks at the Public Service Commission in that role since you've been doing this work? Well, I the trend that I see is that we're taking more and more power and authority away from the commissioners that make up the Public Service Commission. And, you know, generally that that is not a good thing because there's there's just no way that a citizen legislature like the Missouri legislature has the ability to um, put uh, laws in place that are um, perfect. And so we need to make sure that the Public Service Commission and also those that work for the Office of Public Counsel, that they have the authority that they need in order to to find that balance between, you know, making sure that these investor-owned utilities can, you know, make their shareholders happy, but not too happy. Right. And also, you know, make sure that ratepayers, customers, my constituents, you know, that that they're not paying more than they need to for for water, for gas, for electricity. Yeah, because I mean, those are like essential things just for modern life. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, you know, I think the timing of this podcast, um, I appreciate because, you know, there's a debate raging both, you know, nationally, but also here in the state of Missouri about, you know, these, uh, the eviction moratorium. So mm. um, evictions, you know, were supposed to start happening. There's the moratorium has been stretched out a little bit, but I think what's getting uh, a little bit lost in this debate is the importance of people being able to have affordable utilities. Part of housing is, part of affordable housing is being able to afford your electricity, afford your water and afford your gas. And yeah. so, you know, the, the legislature has done things through the years that have allowed uh, these utility companies to continue to raise rates for these essential utilities. And now we've gotten ourselves into a situation where housing is a lot more expensive, but also mm -hmm. the utilities that you need to stay in your home are more expensive. And your wages have not kept up with any of that. Exactly. Um, I know I'm, that's not what I'm paid to talk about, <laughs> but that is a reality of, of, our, of our world is that everything has gone up except for what people make. And that is something you have to factor in. And, and look, um, you know, Renew Missouri, our focus has been on clean energy, but during the pandemic, you know, as I think a lot of organizations had to look at like what their focus was going to be, we, we represent some... Um, you know, low-income uh, housing advocates. And so instead of just working on energy efficiency, which uh, as I always like to say on this podcast, we, we do have really good programs in the state uh, that were driven by the legislature back way back in the day uh, that help with that. Uh, but, you know, we did get uh, in these cases uh, with Spire, with Evergy on the Western side of the state, um, you know, when they were seeking kind of favorable accounting uh, rulings from the PSC on, you know, losses they suffered during the pandemic on trying to equalize that with what customers needed. Moratoriums, uh, arrearage assistance. Um, and it wasn't as though we had a lot of ground to work on with that. It, it's tough. I mean, like, you know, the, the PSC can only do what the legislature says they can do. And so we were trying to work these things out, but there weren't a lot of tools in that toolbox. Exactly. Well, and, you know, I, I want to go back to something that we sort of glossed over a few minutes ago, which is the importance of the Office of Public Counsel. So yes. a lot of a lot of my colleagues and I think a lot of Missourians think that the Public Service Commission is is the group that's looking out for consumers, that's looking out for residential consumers. And, yeah. you know, I want to push back on that a little bit because I don't necessarily see that as the Public Service Commission's role. They and, don't either. 
<laughs> no, and, and it's not, that's not how it's set up. And, you know, I, I think that most folks would be surprised to know that we have a very small office, um, the Office of Public Counsel, um, mm -hmm. that is the watchdog and that is looking out for all the consumers, not just residential. Um, I'm primarily focused on residential consumers just because those are the, my, the voters that I represent. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, yeah, I mean, and I, I know that I've always talked a little bit about my role as public counsel. My, my tenure there was short, but it feels like it was, I was there for 20 years. <laughs> it mm -hmm. was kind of a controversial period, but yeah, I mean, like, I think a lot of people, like, it's always important to remember, this is a, a this is a group that has only been around uh, for not even 50 years. It was, it was created in 1974, again, by the legislature. It was almost kind of part of the legislation that was in response to Watergate and trying to curb public corruption. Um, there just wasn't a settled advocate for ratepayers in front of the Public Service Commission. This created it, um, you know, for a long time while I was there, as an example, the utilities had to pay an assessment fee to fund it. They don't do that now. The legislature has changed that. It comes from general appropriations. I think that's a problem. I think it's a huge <laughs> problem. Um, it, it bothers me because you know, we as elected officials are sent to Jefferson City to represent our constituents and the Office of Public Counsel is really who the legislature should be getting behind and supporting because that's who is looking out for our constituents, those folks are. And that office has has shrunk and mm. gotten smaller and smaller through the years and that that's quite concerning to me. You know, the other thing that really bothers me is um, in the state of Missouri, the Office of Public, Public Counsel can be fired for actually doing his job or her job. And, you know, in other states, um, the only way to get rid of that person would be if for cause, you know, yeah. if they did something, you know, illegal or immoral or weren't performing their job. I would like to see Missouri get to a point where just because the Office of Public Counsel is doing their job really well, that doesn't mean that they should get fired. Yeah, I mean, listen, and I, I don't talk, I don't, I don't really talk about this much. I mean, I was, I was fired uh, from that job well, by Governor Eric Greitens. One of my dear friends, John Kaufman, was fired by Governor Blunt for doing his job. He basically was doing yeah. his job so well and speaking up for consumers that he got let go. Yeah, and listen, that's, I mean, you know, and everyone talks about the independence of that agency. I, I think that has eroded significantly. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, and I, I don't know about you. I mean, I wasn't around pre-2009, but I do think that when you, when you look at like how Naranda became politicized and, you know, and I, we've talked about this a little bit on this podcast, this big aluminum smelting plant that was in Southeast Missouri. It was Aaron's biggest customer. They were having some money trouble. They tried to influence the legislature by getting a special rate. Aaron fought them on it. And, and in my opinion, I feel like that's when, I mean, utilities have always been political. It became hyper-political since then. I mean, we're talking about 12 years into that. And even though Naranda's yeah. gone. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, this this is a great example of, of why, like, why should the average residential customer of Ameren, why should they have wanted uh, something to be worked out in order to allow Naranda to stay in business? And I, I wanted... Noranda to be able to stay in business. Number one, I want to see. I wanted to see those jobs at that aluminum smelter stay in in south southeast Missouri. But also, the way the way rates work for an investor-owned utility like Ameren is, since Noranda was their number one largest customer, when they were no longer 
using electricity, it makes the rates go up for everybody else. So that's why there's this synergy between the industrial customers and the residential customers. You know, it's very complex. And that's, again, what the Public Service Commission and the Office of Public Counsel is trying to find that balance there. But, um, you know, our rates definitely went up when Naranda was no longer using electricity. Yeah. And I mean, that is, I mean, that isn't, it's always like that. That's an attention there. I mean, when I was at public council, there are groups that focus on commercial and industrial customers. We tended to work with them on the majority of things where we saw common ground that helped a lot, but now one of those groups is pretty much not functioning anymore. Um, so that makes it tough uh, to go in. And yeah. I mean, as you said, that, that office has eroded, the, the budget's gone down. It is subject to more political uh, pressure because it's in a general appropriations. And even though like now, I, you know, I've been at Renew Missouri for four and a half years. We don't, <laughs> we don't agree with uh, public council on a lot of things. There's a lot of things we do agree with them on, but even having said that, even though we are adversarial with them, I can tell you that, regulatory body works much better when they are at full capacity, when they are doing their job and for them to be handicapped intentionally by certain forces and not just the legislature. Right. I'll, I'll let that hang there. <laughs> uh, Cause I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but uh, you know, it is, it is not helpful. Right. Well, and you know, when I, when I talk to neighbors, those on fixed incomes, especially seniors, you know, they, they have the same amount of pension basically coming in every month. And, you know, when, when their utility bills just keep inching up, inching up, you know, it gets to, there comes a point where people think they can no longer stay in their homes because everything, you know, pensions aren't increasing, uh, but, but taxes are going up a little bit and utility bills are going up. And it can't be said enough. The second leading cause for homelessness in this country are utility bills. Exactly. You know, I mean, like, and that is, so that is not just a theoretical concept that we talk about in rate cases, but it's not just something we're pointing to as a study. That's like a real problem. (laughs) Well, you know, Uh, and another, another real problem that can be boiled, it can, it's complex, but yet it's simple is if, if you look at your utility bills these days, you can no longer conserve your way to a lower utility bill. So the, the utility bills now, they come with this flat charge. So even if mm-hmm. you don't use any water, you're still paying you know, a flat rate. Even if you don't use any electricity, you're still paying a fat, flat rate, which is really harmful for those that are trying to lower their utility bills. That means you cannot conserve your way to a lower bill. And that's a huge problem. And, you know, and that's like, you know, you think about a door knocking on a senior citizen's door in the summer and they don't have their air conditioning on because they're trying to save electricity. You know, number one, people die in that situation, but also gone are the days where if you just don't use your electricity, you can get your bill to be lower. It really doesn't happen that way anymore. The charges on most utility bills are very fixed and not dependent on usage. Yeah. And that, and that gets into a thing that, you know, that is one of the things that consumer advocates and environmental advocates do absolutely see eye to eye on. You're, you're talking about like essentially the customer charge, the fixed rate that utilities say that's the bare minimum we need to like just have a grid to have everything set up where it goes, uh, you know, delivers this utility to your house. Um, you know, 
yeah, it is one of those things where from an environmental perspective, from a clean energy perspective, you can't conserve your way out of that. You can't reduce your uh, consumption and change that at all. And so, you know, that's a problem. But also from a consumer advocate, it's a problem because, yeah, you really get socked with this part of the bill every month, um, no matter what you do, no matter mm-hmm. how much you use. And so, you know, that is one of those, it, those real, inter- so it's not just like you see these big numbers, like if you read, you know, news articles about it, that like Amron wants to raise rates by X amount or Spire wants to raise rates by X amount, but they don't talk about how those rates are going to be allocated over different types of customers, how that's going to be in different parts of your bill. And, and it is like, people think, well, that doesn't make, I mean, when you kind of sit down and think about it, it makes a little bit of sense, but it is, it is just, it is, it's frustrating that that's a reality out there for people. (laughs) It's very frustrating um, because there's just not an incentive to, conserve resources basically because you're still your bill is going to be pretty high no matter how much you use so you know the other part of that we were talking about how when naranda no longer was a customer of amarin that the other ratepayers were paying more the the other side of that is whenever um we're looking at giving special rates to those maybe that are low income folks or senior mm-hmm. citizens or veterans or whatever, um, you know, whenever deals and, and special rates are set for low income folks, that means other rate classes are picking those up as well. So, you know, it's a, it's a very delicate balance. And, you know, there are some states where the, the giveaways for low income folks and fixed income folks has gotten so out of hand that the, the rate payers, like the middle class, ratepayers are really paying a lot. And so, you know, yeah. all of these things need to be taken into account. Yeah, because that, that brings up a really good point because, you know, when we were working with the consumer groups on these consumer protections during the pandemic, we were aligned with some national groups that were wanting to like just basically erase debt of low-income customers that were being affected by the pandemic. A problem with that is, <laughs> is... Um, the utility is going to get that money from someone. Mm -hmm. And even if you, I mean, look, there might be benefit to helping out people who are on the, on the edges of these margins. And I understand that they're in a worse situation, but you are potentially leading to economic peril for someone else. Exactly. So again, it becomes this thing where you can talk about these things and you say like, oh, well, that makes, you know, like, why don't we help these poor low income folks and wipe out their debt? But then you realize there is a consequence to that. And, uh, you know, the thing that is, the more you do this work, or at least like my, my role is being kind of like one of the, um, one of the people who are kind of just representing one special interest group is like, you do something, no matter how good it is or how bad it is. There are consequences that are going to reverberate on that. You don't necessarily see right away. We haven't really thought about with any policy change. Right. Yeah. It's it's a, it's good, good news, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which I mean, I, you know, since we're just keeping it real here, I mean, I have to like address this issue because I mean, this is, this is a tension um, between some consumer advocates and clean energy advocates like myself is that, you know, as utilities start moving towards building more wind, building more solar, that costs money. That money is going to be coming from customers. I mean, like you, I mean, you obviously have to see some sort of 
you have to have some tension and conflict there that you have to manage a little bit with your policy views because you are a good clean energy advocate. You are a good consumer advocate, but sometimes those things are, are tough to balance. Exactly. And I appreciate you mentioning that because, you know, uh, being in the legislature, uh, there are times where I've got I've got to decide I have a tough decision to make uh, because sometimes they aren't uh, things are not harmonious. Um, But I would say, you know, the the utilities are listening to their customers in and that is why we're moving towards clean, renewable energy, because it's Mm -hmm. you know, it's right for the environment but it's also what the customers want as well. And so, you know, I think as long as we stay focused on what the customers want to see, I think we will end up being okay, you know, and we, we had a big victory this, uh, this legislative session with getting the securitization bill passed. I did support that. Um, You know, I think that ultimately we have to figure out a way to get some of these coal burning plants to be, Mm. um, brought offline and order in order for us to move towards clean renewable energy. And, and, you know, we, we can't leave these companies. um, We have to find a way to make sure that we're not leaving the, the stockholders of these companies holding the bills. Right. Or the right payers with like any stranded assets is one of those little technical phrases we use. Yeah. I mean, that was a, I mean, that was one of those uh, things where, you know, I did try to work with, you know, I, I have, we still have allies with the consumer groups. I understood that they had a lot of issues with how that bill was written at times, different drafts of it. I was constantly trying to put on my consumer advocate hat to not do anything that I thought would be harmful to the overall policy, but where I thought it would make the bill better. And, and certainly it wasn't, you know, it's like every other bit of legislation. It's not going to be perfect. There's probably going to be things we have to fix with it. The Public Service Commission will probably modify some of that as much as they can. Um, but yeah, it it was, it, you know, that was a situation where you had to, you had a lot of really, you know, back and forth. Um, I, I know certainly, you know, in the House, you don't have that as much. I think when we interviewed Jason Holzman, he talked about being in the house as kind of like being on a bus and you're, uh, <laughs> you're just kind of going where the driver takes you. <laughs> but uh, and I don't know if you would want to concur. He's out of the house. So I, uh, he, he could say that. Uh, but in the Senate, like there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of work done on that. Um, and, you know, with, with our mutual friend, Senator Shoup, uh, which we'll get into that here in a moment, uh, you know, there was a lot done, I think did make that better, but certainly there's still a lot of work that still needs to be done. I agree. It's, you know, you know, even though that bill has now become law, there are still things that will need to be adjusted um, as we move forward. But I was really, um, I think the bill, the House bill sponsor, Representative O'Donnell, um, he was very gracious and mm-hmm. um, included me in discussions, even though that bill did not go through the utilities committee. I think it went through financial institutions, but it, it did. Um, but the the bill, the House bill sponsor knew that people would look to me and and have questions of me, even though it didn't come through my committee. So I appreciate that he was so such a statesperson and included me from the beginning. 
Yeah, I, I didn't. I've never really worked with him except on this, and I found him to be really pretty good on these stuff. I mean, these things. I mean, yeah, he's and he is. You know, um, he's he's a Republican, and they do have the ability to wield a lot of power in the House because they are a supermajority. But I still find that there is uh, there is some ability to to work there in some cases. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed working with that representative. I hope that doesn't doom his career politically. I know. They'll probably use it as a soundbite against him. <laughs> I, I know. Oh, sorry, representative, but <laughs> you're professional. So <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's a, that's a detriment in some political circles. Um, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> because it is in like, look, I mean, you you have this role at the utilities committee, but you have to do that's the other thing I have to like remind people about why they need to get more engaged and involved with this as constituents is because what you all do as state reps and state senators, I mean, you have to do so much as far as like understanding budgets and understanding education and understanding healthcare and having to deal with social issues that are that take up a disproportionate amount of time in the legislature. And I always tell people that it does is because I think those people who, who call and email about those social issues, abortion, guns, transgender rights and gay rights and that sort of thing, they get, they get told that this, that they are the, the thin line between, you know, the end of civilization and they take that very seriously. So people hear from them. And I think they think that that takes an oversized place in their, in their work. If people did that with renewable energy, clean energy, their utility bills, it would be maybe a different story. I mean, what do you think? Well, about no, that's, a, that's true. Um, but I will say there was a, a big uh, success this year of stopping some legislation that I consider to be anti-solar. And the reason... Mm the anti-solar bills didn't go anywhere, in my opinion, is all of us elected officials heard from dozens and dozens of, of folks, of constituents who actually use solar, want to use solar, are solar supporters, and they did not want to see us um, make it more expensive and harder for Missourians to, to be able to successfully use solar. So that that victory of stopping those anti-solar bills, in my opinion, was truly because of the grassroots efforts of everyday Missourians reaching out to their elected officials. So that, you know, I'd like to see more of that, focusing on real issues. Yeah. I hope all of you Renew gurus out there are listening uh, to the representative here. Uh, <laughs> we, because I keep, you know, because we, we did, we worked really hard on that um and uh and you know we you know we 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 were really worried about that bill and um it'll come back yes yes it's it's not the co-ops didn't look at all our phone calls and say oh we're we're picking up our tent and and going elsewhere (laughs) they'll be back um so i mean and you are okay so you i mean because like like i said you've been in the legislature you've been in the house for a while um have you been on the utility committee the whole time yes Yes, okay. I have. Because I was going to say, I think in, in the time I've been in front of the legislature, you've been there. Um, I mean, and you are a real sane voice in that committee. Sometimes not. Sometimes not so much. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, because there are some some wacky ideas that get put out there. I'll I'll mention. I I I've known this guy for a long time because we went to church together from same town. John Black, who's also on the utility committee, he's got a background in utilities. He's got a big thing about wanting to make it easier to build nuclear power plants. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
which is another place where consumer advocates and environmental groups tend to uh, <laughs> align in being opposed to that. Um, and I suspect that will be back. Um, I don't think Representative Black is gonna stop pushing that legislation, the construction work in progress. Which Missouri yeah, seems, uh, Representative Black seems very passionate about those uh, small nuclear reactors. So I, I assume he will bring that language back. Yeah, which I mean, like, listen, like, I mean, we can talk about nuclear power and like whether it has a lot of emissions or not and what the waste does. But the reality is it is really expensive. <laughs> right. And I, I, I one thing I've always said, I think I've said this a couple of times in front of your committee is I think, you know, they tried to change this law several years ago when you were still working in the, legis in, for, in the legislature. And I don't think that if that had passed we would have seen the energy efficiency efforts we had because of just they would have built more nuclear power, or tried to have built more nuclear power, and they wouldn't have seen an incentive to 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 reduce that demand. We're right. really getting the weeds here. Let's talk about. <laughs> well, you know, let's let's pull it back out of the weeds. What yeah. I would just say to a lot of these discussions is all the data that I've seen is that we have an abundance. We are we have more electricity in Missouri, available to Missourians than we need. So why would we be building new plants, including new yeah. nuclear reactors? So you know, until someone can show me that we actually have a need to build more and to produce more electricity, I don't even know why we're having the discussion. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. I, I, I mean, I know, but it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's like all these things. I mean, so you have a lot on your plate with those things. Uh, you have a lot on your plate with just representing your constituents and doing all these other things. Now, uh, you know, I think this, the news you've been making is you're going to be running for state Senate. Yes, I will be running for Senator Jill Shoup's spot in the Missouri Senate, and she is termed out yep. of the Senate. I will be termed out of the Missouri House at the same time, and I feel very, very honored, and uh, I'm, I just feel very fortunate to have earned Senator Shoup's endorsement for this race. Yeah. I've, I've been a big fan of hers. I'm a big fan of yours. I'm excited to see that transition. I'm, I'm, I always have to say this. I'm sad that you all have to deal with term limits. Um, you know, those have been a reality in Missouri. I, they, they were put in place. Uh, the people that were in the House and Senate in 2002 were the last people that got to be, um, you know, under kind of unlimited terms. I think Missouri voters passed that in 92. Um, I understand the sentiment. I don't I've never agreed with this legislation. I've never agreed with this idea. I think we lose a lot of smart, talented people every time we have an eight year cycle go through. I understand there are a lot of people that had been there for 20, 30 years that stunk at their job, uh, but I just don't think that's worth it when, because there's people that stink at their job under turmoil. The, the problem is we lose good people. Well, and some of these issues and bills are very complex and you, the, the bills that go through utilities committee are a perfect example of that. It's really hard to think that somebody can get up to speed on these really complex bills. So what happens is the legislator is struggling to bring herself up to speed and it gives a lot of power to lobbyists and to staff people because they're the ones that don't have term limits. So, you know, so staff people um, and lobbyists are the ones that have a lot more influence now in the legislative process. And, you know, there's some, I mean, there, I used to be a staff person, so I'm certainly yeah. not being disrespectful of staffers. No. But, um, you know, there are some 
staff people that are basically functioning as like shadow elected officials because they're the ones that actually know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and I, that's right. There are, listen, the, the staff uh, people are indispensable in these roles, but I mean, I'll tell you, this is so insane and I'm not going to mention any names. I'm not going to try to be very vague about this last year um, in 2020. There was a, there's a number of primaries going on. I had a conversation with somebody else who works in energy policy who was like, well, I was thinking about giving money to this candidate because they're going to keep this staff person from this other person sleeping. And we want that staff person to still be around because that's helpful to, you know, influencing them. Now, is that something that you're thinking about supporting a elected official? Should that, that shouldn't seem like that should be part of your equation, but that is for a lot of people when, they, when now they're deciding who they support. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, there have been proposals put forward through the years that would, so right now the term limits are eight years in the House and eight years in the Senate. So obviously eight plus eight equals 16. There have been proposals that would allow the elected official to decide how she wants to spend those 16 years. You know, do you want to just be the best state rep and really focus on you know, utilities, um, or do you want to break it up, you know, to allow some flexibility? I think that might be a step in the right direction. But I think that we probably need to take that back to the voters, possibly. I, you know, I, I, since the voters put the term limits in place, I think we need to also go to them and allow them to decide if we're going to tweak that policy. But I, I think voters would, would understand and possibly appreciate the importance of that flexibility. I hope so. I <laughs> sometimes they do things that I scratch my head about, but um, yeah. So I mean, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit off mic. You you you're underway in trying to run for the Senate seat, which is in a lot. I mean, I think it's almost exclusively in western part of the St. Louis County. Um, it is it is a it is an area that's changed a lot in how its politics are. Um, you know, there's a lot of national influence on that. There's a lot of local influence on that too. Um, I think suburbanites just kind of start acting more like city dwellers after after they've been there long enough. Um, and that makes them, I think that tends to make people more liberal. Um, and what I've I've ran for state rep a couple of times unsuccessfully. What is it like to run as a state senator? It's got to be like running for state rep, except it just a just such an unfathomable level to me. Well, it, it's certainly uh, overwhelming when you think about the the amount of turf of territory that you cover. And, you know, I feel fortunate because at least my district that I'm running in, my Senate district is all in one county. Think about some of my mm-hmm. colleagues who are running for state Senate in other parts of Missouri. They might cross, they might have six counties. I can't even imagine. It would take oh, hours yeah. and hours <laughs> to drive. You know, yeah. at least my, my district, I'm in pretty good physical shape. I could walk the perimeter of my Senate district and, and not uh, be in too rough a shape. But um, yeah, it's just, it's just overwhelming. And, you know, we, it, it's way different than running for state rep. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, certainly in your area, it's a lot more constant, the population is more concentrated. I, you know, I'm from, I'm from uh, Senator Esslinger's district. That's where I'm originally from. I think if you drove from where my farm is in the Northwestern part of Webster County to the Southeastern edge of uh Ripley County would take probably over three hours drive. Mm-hmm. That. That's a lot. Uh, that's a congressional seat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's just really exciting because, I mean, I think that you can take the uh, work that you, your background, your knowledge, your enthusiasm for this work. And, you know, the Senate is just, you know, it's, a, it's so much more sovereign. 
as an individual, don't you think? Well, I hope so. Um, but also I've been working in the state Capitol building now, you know, for more than 20 years and in different capacities. And I, I worry that, um, I, I, I think we could maybe make the Missouri state Senate, um, I think we could maybe take a deep breath and kind of try to reset and, and get back to, you know, some, the day where people were a little bit more respectful of each other and that things didn't get so personal. That's what, that's the type of Senator that I want to try to be. It feels pretty chaotic. I mean, it does. and it feels like, you know, one person can torpedo a lot of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I did, but I think, you know, and I, and I, I just, I get discouraged sometimes when I look at the state of things, but when I see people like you running and enthusiastically doing so, it makes me feel like there's some sanity left in our state. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So I, um, my, my work style is not to go after people personally or politically for that matter. And, you know, we have to figure out a way to, to get along. And, you know, I've had some great successes in the Missouri House these last eight years. And that is because I can uh, respect people on the other side of the aisle and work with them on issues that we agree on. And that's really, you know, what I hope that I can do over in the Missouri Senate. Yeah. Well, we've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, this has been great. Is there anything you wanted to uh, impart upon our uh, fine listeners before we uh, sign off here? No, I just thank you for the for the chance to chat a little bit. You know, I I hope that um, if there's one thing that people take out of this podcast, it's that you shouldn't let issues, bills that are utility focused overwhelm you or cause you to not want to learn more because they appear complex. Just take a deep breath, try to figure out, you know, what the purpose of the bill is and, you know, follow the money. I mean, pretty much that's what you can do with a lot of things going on in the legislature is follow, follow the money, try to figure out who will make money off of something passing or not passing. And it can help you really understand the motive. I can't believe you would suggest there's selfish motivations in that building. That is for another podcast. Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, now you've kind of rocked me here. I gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, might have a half of a sequel. Um, <laughs> but no, it is, it is, that's true. There is, I mean, you can, you can really do some, you can do some cursory work and that does, that is revealing. Mm-hmm. It is, I'm always amazed that when I look at something, I'm like, what is, what does this matter to these people? And then I start, kind of like poking around with them like oh yeah okay <laughs> right <laughs> um, well of course not not related to utilities but just you know like every year in the legislature we see bills where it's like the optometrist versus the ophthalmologist or the uh, the the nurses versus the doctors you know that kind of thing so there's all there there's always this like constant turf war and in battle for power and money and that kind of thing. So, and it's really no different in the bills that come through utilities. Yeah. Uh, I know I was trying to get, get you off the air to get back with your life, but I wanted to share a, a, an anecdote that I think kind of emphasizes what you're talking about. I just got, I just read John Boehner's book. I listened to that. It, it's a great book. Oh, I bet it's great to listen to. I bet it's like nice and sloshy. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, think you can almost hear him smoking, you know, so... <laughs> Hear the red wine kind of tingling in the back. 
he he has this i don't know if he tells this story in the audio version but he talks about when he was in the ohio legislature and there was a bill that was designed to get rid of the front license plate uh on cars which i think we've talked about in missouri as well he was sitting there thinking like oh that makes sense you know it's like less money and it's like you know it, it seems like we might be saving state resources but then all of these law enforcement Groups got upset and said, we need that. We need that for identification purposes. And then Boehner starts looking into it and finds out the reason that somebody wants to push this. It's like the car wash owners because they their, their automatic car washes were knocking off the front license plates and they, were, they didn't want to pay to replace it. So they said, well, we just want to get rid of that on cars. And hmm. that was it. <laughs> that was the whole motivation of the legislation. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. It, it just, I mean, I know that everyone's like, oh, John Boehner, but that's actually a pretty good book when you want to like, I mean, I like hearing, I like hearing people trash other people in the political process. I know you're, you're too gracious for that, but he's really, he's really fun at going after people. Well, I'm a Democrat. Obviously, Boehner was a Republican Speaker of the House, and uh, I loved his book. It was a great book. I would highly recommend it. Yeah. The Renew Guru's book club tells you, go check out On the House by John Boehner. And I bet the audio version is, I, I was sitting here reading and thinking, man, I wish I had just gotten the audio version of this, him talking. That would have been really good. Yeah. <laughs> well, Representative McCreary, You've, you've been so gracious, generous of your time. Thank you again. Um, and thank you all for listening. If you like what you heard on Renew Gurus, go subscribe to this on all major podcast platforms. Leave a uh, review, share this with your social media postings. Um, and also, I think I'll just do a plug for Philip's work with the co-ops. We are needing your videos uh, talking about why as a rural uh, co-op member owner that you care about clean power and wanting to see that transition. We'd like to hear your stories and you can share that with us. Um, and so we need that as a call to action for all of you on behalf of Renew Gurus and Renew Missouri. This is James Owen signing off and saying until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>